Welcome to Self-Compassionate Professor, a career wellness podcast for mid-career and recovering academics who want more. More meaning, balance, rest, joy, and more clarity. Our motto here is no regrets. So glad you're here. This is Danielle Delamar, and you are listening to episode 144. How's it going? I want to jump right into this awesome interview I had with Dr. Leslie Wong, who is just full of wisdom, so much wisdom. In this interview, Leslie offers us a new way to think about our relationship to academia. She offers guidance around doing the internal work, the inner work we need to be doing to figure out what our values are and whether or not they're aligned to the work we're doing. And then she talks a little bit about wellness um, and how essential it is to listen to our bodies. They know what's up, right? (laughs) Even when we don't, like when our minds don't know what's happening. Anyway, I really, really love this conversation. And before I transition into it, I want to just remind people that I have a short six-session course. So there's like six one-hour sessions where we come together and we talk about self-compassion, how to practice self-compassion, what it means to practice self-compassion, you know, how to manage issues of burnout and... Compassion fatigue. I know that's a big one, especially for those of you who are really invested in the success of your students. And, you know, you're practicing things like trauma informed pedagogy and that kind of stuff, right? Like you care so much and you're pouring so much into them. And often that creates some fatigue, right? And how do you practice self compassion in a way to fuel yourself? once you've given so much to your students. Anyway, the course is uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, that first week of January. And then it will be every Friday, the rest of January. So as to fit into the sort of semester schedule, right? Most people's semesters haven't started yet that first week, which is why we do three sessions that first week. And then after that, we move into Fridays because, you know, It's Friday. Most people don't teach on Fridays. So if you want to do a little work around self-compassion and start paving a self-compassionate career path, register. It's only $97. Just go to selfcompassionateprofessor.com. Don't forget the .com. Go to Career Wellness Workshops and you can sign up there. You can also sign up for the Semester Unplug on December 22nd. We will spend two hours just sort of processing the semester, right? All those emotions that have come up for you over the course of the semester, all the thoughts, all the stories. We'll try to process those and let go of much of it so that you can transition into your break with a bit of a clean slate. So yeah, you can register for that as well while you're um, at selfcompassionateprofessor.com under the Career Wellness Workshops. Anyway, yay, I'm so excited to introduce you to Dr. Leslie Wong. Here she is now. 
Thank you so much for joining our conversation today. I have the pleasure of speaking to Dr. Leslie Wong, author, podcaster, and writing coach who helps women scholars write and publish books that matter. Leslie, I'm so happy you're here. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to be here too, Danielle. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, it is, as I told you before, absolutely my pleasure. I am kind of excited because we've got some like juicy stuff around like physical health, like, right? Like mental Mm -hmm. health and sort of how it devolves into physical health issues and academia. So I'm really excited to talk about that. Um, I'm really excited also, though, to talk about the book you're writing on relationship metaphors when it comes to your relationship with academia. So tell us where you are in that book and then tell us how your experience sort of connects to what you're writing about. Well, first of all, Danielle, thank you so much for having me. Um, This is the first time I'm really talking openly about this new book project. So this is my third um, book that I'm writing for a university press. And it's unlike my other two, the first two were really based on my own research. Um, And since that time, I have left academia. So earlier this year, basically just at the end of this last semester, um, I left a tenured faculty position and I am now full-time self-employed working as a writing coach and I'm a trained and certified life coach. And so this new book is about the process of breaking up with academia. And so it uses relationship metaphors to really talk about how, you know, we as academics we have this relationship with academia that's very similar to a long-term committed partnership. And like all relationships, you reach points in it where you have to kind of decide if it's working um, or if it's not working or figuring out like, how do I make my relationship better? Um, Or is it time to potentially end this relationship and then move forward on my own? And what does that mean for my identity? especially because, you know, the academic identity is so all-encompassing. And so this new book is really going to be based on my own experiences of figuring this out, which took about five years, probably, Um, and as well as interviews that I'm doing right now with a wide range of folks from grad students all the way up to, you know, department chairs who are considering leaving um, or they have left already. And I'm really trying to put together like a really useful practical guide that will help people figure out, um, you know, whether or not to stay in this relationship and, and if they stay, how to make it better. And if they don't stay, how to make sure that they're moving forward in ways that feel really good to them and really aligned with their values. So I guess my question is what has been most interesting for you as you've begun this research? I think, first of all, recognizing that it's everywhere. Like, I think that it can be very um, taboo when you are within, you know, academia, and that's your major social circle on top of your professional network um, to talk openly about this stuff. But I made a conscious decision to be really transparent 
and authentic about my process of leading um, with my own sort of private um, social media stuff, as well as like on LinkedIn, because I realized that I never saw other people transition. I never saw like the behind the scenes of it. Like I knew some people had left academia. I didn't exactly know why. So I just wanted people to know like, okay, there's, there's this whole, you know, series of things that you, or stages that you kind of undergo as you are trying to make this decision. And so figuring out sort of what those stages are for people. Um, so maybe like the biggest things that have been important, like I think that the pandemic really pushed people over the edge. And so folks that were already feeling maybe overworked or undervalued or especially underpaid for their level of education and the, the amount of work that they're putting into their jobs. The, you know, the pandemic and all the policies and the extra work that came with it, I think was very much a camp, the, the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of folks. And so I've heard a lot about how people felt like their institutions had changed, like the culture, there was like a cultural shift within the institution where previously they felt more heard and more seen and more valued and now not so much. Um, so that's for folks that have positions within, you know, institutions already. Um, and then, you know, essentially, I think people just want to, they just want to feel better about the work that they're doing and feel like it's worth it to them in terms of everything that they're giving to it, which is often like, you know, health or like so much time or, you know, like we we often go into academia because we we really prize flexibility and autonomy and the idea that we can do work whenever we want to and we don't have to do work in a nine to five kind of fashion. And then I think people are realizing what they're doing is even when they're not working, they're stressing about work all the time. So it becomes a 24-7 kind of thing. And a lot of folks are looking to leave that um that mentality and that ap approach to work that is so all-encompassing. Okay, I have a million questions and I don't know, you tell me if they're fair or not because I know that you're not you're not done with the book. You're still working <laughs> through it. And so if the question isn't fair, just let me know. Um sure. but uh I'm wondering about the practical guide piece. Um what what things do you know you want to share with your audience about, or with your readers, maybe I should say, um, about how to know when it's time to go? Yeah, so that I have not 100% figured out yet um, because I'm, I'm gathering the data right now. Um, but, you know, it's going to be structured kind of similarly to like, um, like a, a breakup book. Uh, about relationships. So like looking at different books like Conscious Uncoupling or like, you know, various mm -hmm. guidebooks around like how do you survive divorce and how do you move forward as like a, you know, single woman in your 40s or whatever. Like I think there's a lot of similarities in terms of um, thinking about stages. And so I'm really trying to set it up according to stages of a relationship. And so there's going to be a first part that kind of talks about falling in love with mm. academia and higher ed and falling out of love with it. And what are the reasons why people commit and what are the reasons why people 
start to question that commitment. Um, and then moving forward into, um, and then each, each chapter is going to have exercises that go along with, um, you know, whatever themes are in that chapter. And so definitely some exercises around core values and really, um, figuring out in what ways are you currently aligned or not with the work that you're doing and just sort of planting seeds around like, how could you be more aligned? And can you find that alignment still within um, your current workplace with some shifts or um, or is it time to say goodbye? And so then the next um, chapter is going to be, should I stay or should I go? And just really trying to assess the fit um, using the core values that were established previously uh, and lots of different exercises around, um, you know, setting boundaries with your job and, you know, really thinking through like, what are ways that I can improve my current situation? Because for me as a coach working with my clients, it's always about how do we kind of water the grass where you're at first and to really see like, um, when you've improved things to your maximum level, then you can really decide like, uh, is it is it worth it for you to stay? Is it good enough now? Or is it really time to go? And so some exercises helping people kind of establish more boundaries with the work. Because again, like trying to pull back from some of that all-encompassing nature of um, academic work. And then it's about you know, for folks that do decide it's time to leave, how do they cope with the emotions that go along with it? So there's a lot of grief and a lot of sadness and a lot of loss, um, as well as other things like anger, um, depending on like, you know, the reasons why people left. Some people don't feel like they had any choice except to leave, right? And so there can be a lot to kind of process there, as well as like positive emotions, like excitement about moving forward. And, um, you know, so really kind of grappling with the emotions, I think, is something I haven't seen before when people are, um, when people are talking about leaving academia. I haven't seen any way to sort of address those emotions um, in a broad way. I've definitely seen people talk about the emotions that they have experienced. Um, and then it's going to be moving forward into, um, yeah, like figuring out who you are outside of this relationship. So moving forward on your own um, and figuring out like how to best like bring your skills and your experience and your wisdom and your values to the next thing that you choose to undertake. And so it really does kind of follow the relationship metaphor the whole the whole way through. We need that book now. So if you can write <laughs> as quickly as possible, that would be great. <laughs> I try. I am going to try. <laughs> um yeah, no. Um I think the emotions are huge. Um, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, and I guess I want to talk more about that because I think that so many people, um, they make this split decision, like, I got to go, I got to get out of here. And it's this, like, I'm going to run away from it now. Mm. Um, and all these unprocessed emotions that are coming with them. And then- yeah often they get into a new career. And I say this, and I talk about this all the time on the podcast, but they get into a new career. They've done the hard work, 
but they are sort of experiencing the same stuff that they did in academia because they had so much unprocessed stuff. Um, and yeah. so there's that, but then there's also the piece that you were talking about um, in addition to the emotions, which is like, let's make it as good as possible. What did you say? Let's water the, <laughs> let's water the grass. What, what, what is the expression? I, I um, mean, I think that's the expression. It might not be, but I just said, let's water the grass where you're at. <laughs> yeah. Because there, there is a grass is greener mentality that goes along with anything, right? Like if you've right. been in a long career or a long relationship, or you've been in a job for 20 years, of course, other things look really enticing. And so it's really about figuring out like, you know, what can you approve, improve about where you currently are? And like, I, I really believe strongly that, um, at least for myself, but I do advise other people to also think this way, but, um, I didn't want to leave academia until I knew that the thing that I was moving towards was much more compelling to me than what I was trying to escape. Mm -hmm. And so that took a lot of work, a lot of actual work of like building a business and getting the sk a new skill set and, you know, cultivating clients and that sort of thing. Like there's, there's a whole bunch of things that went along with that. But then there's the emotional side of making sure, was I really ready for this? And I had the privilege of being in a position that I I didn't have to leave if I didn't choose to, right? So I had that flexibility of time. Um, although at a certain point, it didn't feel that way because the job had become something that was so not aligned with who I want to be and the kind of, you know, the ways that I want to spend my time and contribute to the world that it felt very urgent. Um, but other folks are really in a situation where they have to leave. They've got to just yeah. um, escape where they're at because it is that toxic and it is harming them in so many different ways. And so I think that, you know, every every position you're in is justified. But I think hopefully this book will give people some tools to kind of assess things in a more global way um, so so that they can kind of see what is unique to their situation versus what's part of this life transition in a more general way. Yeah. Okay. So I guess I want to sort of steer now to your story and how you knew um, academia was not aligned to who you were, who you wanted to be. Um, and I, I would love to hear about how you processed your emotions and like all the, all that sort of emotional work. Um, I know you said there's other work too, of course, the building the business and all of that, but I want to talk about the emotional work and, and what happened there and how, how it all played out. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say that there was like any one particular moment for me. I think it was um, realizing that I had checked off all the boxes that I had on my list of let me accomplish all of these things because I feel like if I accomplish them all, that's going to equal happiness. And so that mm. included things like I got a postdoc and then I got a tenure track position and then I got a tenure, another tenure track position in a place where I wanted to be. And then I published a book and then I was a shoe in for tenure. And through that whole process, I, I kept thinking like I was going to feel better about myself or feel better about <laughs> 
my life. And meanwhile, I was like, you know, single most of my 30s and I really wanted to find someone and I really wanted to have a family and I was putting 110% of my effort into my job. Um, so there were just a lot of things that just weren't aligned with like the vision that I had for my life moving forward. And I think, you know, finally recognizing that I had delayed, put so many different parts of myself on hold so that I could um, be quote unquote successful as an academic. Yeah. Reaching that point of success and realizing, okay, this is not enough for me actually. Um, so, so that took until I was about 38 or 39. Um, and so basically the the year that I went up for tenure is also the year that I trained. I did an intensive training to become a life coach. And my biggest question for myself during that whole year was, is it academia that I want to leave or is it just my specific position within academia? So should I be applying to other tenure track positions? Like, is that the solution or is this whole field not right for me. And I didn't have an answer to that at the end of an entire year of questioning. So it's not not like an easy thing um, to that that question is so big when you've invested so many decades. And I wasn't feeling mm-hmm. any acute sort of um, career related pressures at that point, and I wasn't physically unwell. And so I was in this this place where I could really kind of just explore and really question like what what is it that I want from my life? Like what are the values that I really have and how present are they for me in my daily work? And so, you know, constant questioning about that like am I really seeing through um or like am I really fulfilling my core values um with most of my work because I wasn't looking for something that would be a hundred percent of a of alignment because I just I'm not sure if that's like a, a realistic thing or if if I even needed that. But it's more like it's like, do I feel fulfilled like say 70 to 80 percent of the time? Mm-hmm. And realizing that I was not. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and then I had um two things happen. So I I had sabbatical and then I, I also had a, a baby. And so those things together, I was out of um, the classroom and I was on leave for three semesters. And so, and the pandemic hit at the same time. So all of those things kind of became even more like, okay, I have, I have some more time to think, but I also have no time because I have a baby and no childcare and, you know, no help. Um, and there's a pandemic. And so things kind of got uh, pulled along even maybe longer than they would have been. And then last year I went back to the classroom for a whole year. And that that's when it was like, okay, I'm very sure now because I had time away to really process things. Um, and, and I know what I'm looking for, I guess now in terms of how I want to feel about my work and realizing that was not going to happen. It just wasn't going to happen from the position I was in. So then it became crystal clear. But I do think there was a moment um, while I was doing all of the questioning when I was um, still in my life coach training that I realized what I was going through and what I was feeling was very much a heartbreak. Mm. And I was listening. I still remember actually this moment. I was walking 
around Walden Pond outside of Boston. And it was like all snow. There was like nobody there. And I was just like tramping through the forest trying to like get a grip. And I was listening to um, like a Dharma talk, like a meditation teacher was giving a long talk about, um, I think it was about like letting go or something. And there was just one moment where she was, she was saying how, you know, there was, she was recognizing that her heart was breaking around some situation. And that hit me like viscerally. I actually started sobbing. Like I realized like I, what I'm feeling right now, this questioning, this deep, deep questioning I'm having really is, is my heart breaking um, because it really was my heart that brought me to do all of this stuff and to sacrifice and to move a million times and to start over so many times and to have faith that it was all going to work out. And then it did. And it wasn't working out in the way that I wanted it to on an emotional level. So it's like coming to the end of a relationship. But that was still several years before I left the academy. Mm. Mm. Okay. So, ah. You have this moment, you're starting to realize some things. And I will just say that this is very common to be like doing something different, right? Like, like you're, like you said, you're out, um, walking around this pond and it's, um, snowing and you're the only one there. And Mm -hmm. this is not like a typical thing that you would be doing. And that's when you had the, um, the insight. Um, and so I would, I, I guess I would just pause and say to those of you who are sort of finding yourself in a similar struggle, um, you know, find, a find a something you could do that is totally out of the norm for you. And insights will often come from, from that. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is I am dying to know about what was so telling for you when you returned to the classroom after, after your leave, your parental leave and your sabbatical and all of that, like you said, I went back to the classroom and I, and I knew, and I want to know what it was you knew and what was going on to help you to really get it. Yeah, I think, you know, I have no complaints whatsoever about my students. I was very, very lucky to teach at a place that was super, super duper rare in terms of it's a majority minority campus and it's a majority first generation student campus. And so I always felt so fortunate to have these students. I also realized that the pandemic had really, really adversely impacted a lot of them in such a a wide range of ways, both academically and then also emotionally, that I wasn't equipped to deal with um, with those issues on top of like the regular issues that come with teaching a very diverse student population. And so I was thrust into a new, a brand new class that was developed before the pandemic and no longer really worked well after the pandemic started and it was sort of like a meant to be sort of a gen ed type of class and it was 
really impossible to teach it in any way that made me feel effective as a teacher and made me feel like I was helping the students learn. And so that was really hard. Um, I think that's very different than when you're teaching courses that you've designed yourself and um, maybe they're electives in your field and you have more control. But I, I felt like I was at odds in terms of like what I felt like the students needed and what I could give to them versus what the class was actually requiring of them. Mm -hmm. And um, on top of, you know, I just wasn't used to that kind of workload anymore. I also was teaching a grad class, a methods course where, you know, it was you're walking an entire class of graduate students through a whole research project. And then I had that with my undergrads too. And it was just this overwhelming sense of, I'm not used to this, this level of, I guess it was like mental strain because I had been off for such a long time and I wasn't using my brain um, in the same way. And I wasn't feeling so desperately responsible for their well-being before the pandemic either. So I think, you know, and then there's a lot of other things. It's just being part of an institution that I would say doesn't really invest in um, the well-being of its workers um, became even more apparent once I was back. And then, you know, really desiring to be in a workplace where there is really good high quality leadership, which I define as, um, people being invested in your well-being. <laughs> and so, yeah, just feeling like there were just so many things that weren't there. And then I was giving so much for um, ultimately in for outcomes for students that I'm not sure how much it benefited them. So that created a whole other kind of crisis for me around what am I doing and is this um, best serving everybody? including myself. Wow. Okay. So I had this moment and you tell me where I'm wrong, but had this moment when you had said you got back to the classroom and you weren't using your brain in the same way when you were on leave. And so coming back that you said that might've been one of the factors and it feels like, and again, tell me where I'm wrong, that it was about um, you had been tuning more into sort of your body, tuning more into what feels good, and your brain was turned off in the way that you'd been using it previously, which sort of made it so you didn't have to pay attention to your body and how you felt as much. Does that yes. resonate or? Definitely, definitely. And I think that it's that's exactly right is that i came back into a system where we are not taught or encouraged to listen to ourselves mm-hmm. and to our intuitions mm-hmm. and to our bodies and to the things that bring us joy because there's too much at stake right student well-being is at stake like their educations them being able to graduate and get jobs it's all in your hands even though it's really not i mean you know, but there there is kind of this this ideology around all of the work that we do as faculty members um, and staff as well, right? And so I think, yeah, going back into an environment where it was much more around there are a hundred thousand things to get done and there are not enough people to do them. 
So add more. And, <laughs> um, and also like, I, you know, I think finding that there's very little prioritization as well. So you will have these long meetings around things that are seemingly sort of inconsequential <laughs> and not talking about the things that are really important. And that was also like, okay, I forgot about this, right? Mm. Um, and then I think also dealing with like politics and, you know, when you're in an environment where there is so much sort of antagonism at every level, it does trickle down to the interpersonal and feeling like this is stressing me out. Like I, I didn't have to deal with um, thinking about ways to protect people's, I would say egos, but it's maybe it's more like fragile, fragile emotions because nobody feels valued in this space. That takes up a lot of headspace that I wasn't having to expend. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's like it's a it's a combination of things, like the actual work, and then it's around the feelings that the work brings up, especially mm-hmm. when you're doing a lot of labor that you wouldn't choose to do yourself. And so if I really like leaned into my value of like freedom and autonomy, which to me is very much around like I I get to set my own schedule and I get to choose the things that um, to do things that feel meaningful to me, then I felt very lacking, you know, Mm. in that value. And then I definitely felt off. And it feels like as you... As we, as you talk and I think about your story, some of the stuff that you told me about when we talked before, um, as well as the, what you're talking about now, it feels like there's this really clear sort of line between not sort of knowing what's going on and not having like a good sense of what's happening with you and why you're why you're not feeling well and all of that. And then the other side, when you've sort of, I don't know if this is true, but like, that's when you've gone through the coach training. That's when you've really gone inward and noticed things that are happening um, in a way you didn't before. Is there, is there that line that I'm just kind of gathering that? Yeah, I definitely think, definitely think there's like an internal, an internal line that you know has been crossed mm-hmm. um, that normally if we don't take time out to delve deeper and do like personal investigation, then you live, you cross that line every day and it's just mm-hmm. every day, every day, every day. And then you're burnt out and exhausted and sick. Um, and so I think because I had experienced wellness, <laughs> um, And my priorities obviously shifted too. Like once I became a parent, then, you know, you do, when you go back into an environment that's not working well, it feels like it's not worth, it's not worth it in an even bigger way. And so I think I was reading, um, somebody posted on LinkedIn about like a a tenured professor about her decision to to leave her position and leave academia, she talked about her own personal line. Like what was the line she wasn't going to cross? And for her, Mm -hmm. it was getting sick. When she realized her job was actually making her sick 
every few weeks, whereas she had been very healthy and robust and enjoyed what she was doing. And then things got crazy and she had so much responsibility and she was getting sick like three, she got three sick three or four times in the semester Mm. and was like, that's my line. I'm out. And so there is kind of like an internal line. And then it can be really useful. I think to have something like a, a very tangible one too. Like I am not willing to, um, to live with this much stress on my body and my soul and also on my relationships in the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So having defining what that is, I think is, is really important, hard work because for a lot of folks, like once you make that boundary, then you have to choose whether or not you're going to honor the boundary. So for a lot of folks, it's easier to not set the boundary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I do think like, yeah, getting sick over and over is a really clear one. Okay. Oh God. There's just so many things I want to say to this. Okay. One, that was my experience. I got sick over and 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 over again. And, um, so I just, I want to put that out there. I want to name it because it feels good too. Um, and then secondly, um, like, I was talking when I asked the question about this line you crossed from sort of not knowing yourself as much and then later in your academic career, knowing yourself more. And because you knew yourself more, it all of it became more uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's sort of the line I'm talking about. And in that first part, when you too, and I know you've told me this, when you were getting sick a lot and you weren't doing a whole lot of like, uh, like you called it personal investigation as much. It was just sort of, you were getting sick a lot and you didn't understand why. And you were moving from this place to this place to this place. And mm-hmm. you were just doing everything you possibly could for the job. I guess that's the line I'm talking about, the sort of you're sick, you don't totally know what's going on, you haven't done a lot of personal investigation, um, and then at some point you crossed that line and you started seeing things more clearly and sort of your relationship to self was deepened. Um, And the reason I see that is because that's sort of what happened to me. Um, and so I, so one, I'm thinking about that line <laughs> and then two, sense. I find it really interesting that you're talking about this sort of boundary line, like, mm. okay, I'm starting to get sick. That's it. I'm done. I'm out of here. Yeah. So maybe that line comes, that line comes after the first one that you were talking about. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so then I'm wondering what you mean by internal line. Because you, you talked about crossing that line every day and that becoming really uncomfortable. And I want to know what that is a little bit more. I think it's pretty related to what you were just mentioning, right? That like once you do start reflecting more and going deeper into yourself and to your, your own sense of what is right for you, then this line kind of appears that Mm. you know when you're no longer in integrity. So maybe that's Mm. the thing. Um, That like your your actions, what you have on your plate, the things you're saying um, are not really pairing well with the things that you truly value and you know to be the most inwardly, intrinsically motivating and inspiring to you. 
Oh, God, that's really good. Okay, so talk to us about what it felt like in your mind to be crossing that line out of integrity regularly. Um, What did you notice when you were doing that? I think it was around the time that I was feeling like my heart was breaking. I sat in on, I was a, a committee member for a student's dissertation, and it was, you know, work that I was invested in and meant a lot to the student. And I'm 100%, you know, supportive of what the student was doing. But in the actual defense, I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience where Mm. I could tell that I no longer cared as much (laughs) about what we were talking about. Like I had stopped being so invested in these particular kinds of ideas and ways of, you know, contributing to the world, like those ideas stopped being the things that were like lighting my fire. And so I felt like I was faking it. Mm. I I couldn't like express that I was no longer really invested in this stuff because clearly I was invested in the student doing well. But the actual stuff of it that like I'm supposed to care so much about, the research of it, I was just like, how is this going to really make people's lives better? Mm. And knowing that what I, in terms of like my own core value of impact has a lot to do with like practical applied impact. And so I, when I was like moving more towards that in my own personal coaching practice, And then I was still in a world of abstract, more abstract kind of ideas. There's a huge conflict. And so I think there was that internal line of being like, okay, I'm, I know I'm stepping over it because I don't feel like I am being a hundred percent authentic or even 70% authentic in this (laughs) space, but I have to do it because it's my job. Let's take a second and talk about the impact piece and what you've created for yourself now, because you now coach, and I'll read again, women scholars to write and publish books that matter. And that that last word <laughs> feels really important to me. So um, talk a little bit about why you tagged that last word on the end there, books that matter. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's definitely in line with, um, with valuing impact, because I feel like the, and I would say it's like women and non-binary individuals as well. Um, but you know, it's really like witnessing my clients bring themselves onto the page and into the world in ways that do transform the way that people think or act. Mm -hmm. I think that's how I define matter you know? Mm. And so when I work with my clients, it's really like, let's take ourselves out of this space of having to write for our critics and thinking about how reviewers are going to critique you or potentially like, you know, your dissertation advisor, what they're going to think of this. And instead, let's be in conversation with folks that you really want to be transformed by your words and by your ideas, because that's what matters. And when people approach it through that lens of like, I'm writing for folks who are already interested and they're already on my side and they're not looking to like, you know, 
punch holes in my argument. They're there to learn something and potentially apply it in their own lives. It changes everything. And so, um, so that's why I say like books that matter rather than just like, let's publish your book. Cause of course that's important too. It's important for things like getting a job or getting tenure and having financial stability and the fruition of all of like your personal investments. But it's also like, you know, what are we doing in service to the world? If you're going to do this much work, let's make it matter in ways that matter to you. Amen. I love it. And so if people are sort of experiencing what you're experiencing in the sort of out of body, like, because I, I totally know what you're talking about, this out of body experience where you're like, I don't know if I care and I need to have more impact. And I've been thinking about writing this book, but it's really not going to help me with tenure. I don't think it would actually be a good idea, but I really, really, really want to do it. And these people have just been pushing that to the side, that book that just keeps coming up for them, right? Like, and I've talked to so many people like that. Like, I have this idea, but anyway, that's not what's important right now. What's important is blah, 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 blah. So um, first, I want you to, to say whatever you need to say to those people. And then tell us where we can find you if that is resonating with us and we need your help in that way. Yeah. I mean, I think there are tons of folks that want to write a book and never give themselves permission to do so. Mm-hmm. And on top of it, it's hard to do. <laughs> it's not an easy thing to figure out. And part of the reason I put together this whole service is because I wish that there had been someone to help guide me through the obstacles that are both tangible ones of like, I've never written a book before. What do I need to do? And how do I publish it? As well as the internal obstacles and mindset part of it, which is a lot around, you know, how do I build the confidence in myself um, or rebuild it, I would say, because I would say a lot of folks start out their academic careers with a lot of confidence and they lose it over time. Um, So how do I kind of rebuild this sense of like, you know, true belief in what I'm doing and the impact it can really have. Um, so it's really those two things that I, I try to offer people. Um, so, and I always say like, if you are really feeling good about the work and about yourself as a writer um, and as someone who has something to say, you will eventually you will write a book. Like it will happen that much faster, but you'll also get all of the other tangible rewards that we tend to think of and put first, like getting tenure or whatever, being seen as like more of an expert in our fields. Like those things come from feeling really good and feeling like you're doing, um, you're writing, you're creating something for the world that is in alignment with your values. And that's really where like the life coaching piece comes into my writing coaching. Um, Mm -hmm. And so if people want to find me, my, um, my company is called Your Words Unleashed. And so that is also my website, yourwordsunleashed.com. I also have a podcast with short episodes that are devoted to different kinds of writing and work-related tips that has the same exact name, Your Words Unleashed. So that's how you can find me. 
Okay, so I want to ask, because I just feel like I need some clarity around this. Do you generally coach people around writing books that are non-academic? Um, or are they usually academic? Yes, they are scholarly books. They are academic okay. books. Um, okay. Because the non-academic book market works really differently. And so this is very much geared towards folks that, yeah, they do want to publish with a university press or like a scholarly trade press. Got it. Okay, perfect. Um, and then the other thing I want to say, because I know we have just a couple more minutes left, but I wanted to just uh, get into for just a second, your experience with not feeling well early on, sort of before you cross the line of more personal investigation, that because you had told me the last time you had like gluten allergies and dairy allergies and all these things. And you also told me that your colleagues, um, when you look around, had a lot of physical ailments. Just your experience with that uh, sort of illness piece, um, could you offer us those of us who are going through some physical breakdown and we're not understanding why, could you offer us any sort of words of advice, encouragement, uh, insight, anything at all as it relates to that? Yeah. So what, what you're referring to is basically when I started my postdoc, um, I realized that I was not well. I had really intense brain fog. I had severe allergies and I couldn't figure out where they were coming from. And I saw a holistic doctor who encouraged me to do um, like a food allergy panel. And it came back with like every single thing that I enjoyed eating and was eating for comfort was on that list. And he was like, you know, you're going to have to avoid all of these things for the next seven years so that your body can um, completely recuperate. But on top of that, what is going on with you in your life and emotionally? And, you know, and I explained to him, like I had gone through a big breakup and then I had three months to finish my dissertation. And then I moved to a new country and started a job and I started lecturing in front of 150 students and I had never given a lecture before um, and all of these things. And he was like, no wonder. <laughs> and I had never sort of put together um, how sort of law, you know, prolonged stress was truly mm. impacting my health because I was 31 and felt like I took care of myself and I worked out and I ate pretty healthy. And how is it that I'm getting sick from my job? And so I would say at that point, I still wasn't at a place where I was willing to look inside because I was way too committed to trying to make things work with this relationship that, um, you know, was clearly giving me a lot of signals that things weren't working. And so, you know, maybe the first step is, is really, really recognizing how your body um, knows better than your mind does. And mm. your body is telling you things all the time that, you know, giving you messages. And so maybe like, you know, a very kind of quick exercise can be um, if you're having some major ailment, like I had stomach issues all the time, is like pretend that your stomach has its own thoughts and feelings and um, messages to say to you and you're holding up a microphone to it. And what does it want to say to you? Um, what advice is it trying to give you? And actually listen to it and actually take it seriously um, and doing that kind of thing, I think on a, you know, 
repeatedly can help you get a sense of what actually is going on inside, um, which your mind is often not interested in hearing when you are you know, desperately trying to find a job and you really, really want to prove to yourself and to your family and your community and to academia in general that you can make this work. Um, because if I really had listened to my body, I probably would have gotten off the track. Mm. And so mm. at that time, it, I was not willing to do that. But my body told me, you know, was always there to tell me. And so it's sort of like really trying, you know, you have to stop trying to bifurcate the mind and the body um, and, and take things seriously. And, you know, maybe I wouldn't have fully gotten off the track, but maybe I would have put in more boundaries around the work and that would have been more helpful as well. Or I would have invested more in my life outside of work, um, which, you know, which is always a good idea. Um, so yeah, I had to learn a lot of lessons through not feeling well. And I would say um, that's that's true of so, so many people, so many academics I know at every level. I just want to pause again. <laughs> and I would even say to listeners, pause right now. And if you're going through this, like really internalize, you know, what Leslie just said, this is this is huge to be able to listen to your body, to be able to move into, like you said, your gut and say, what are you trying to tell me? Um, you know, take a second right now and ask your body. And if you don't get answers right away, ask again tomorrow and the next day and the next day until you start getting some answers um, and allow those messages to emerge from your gut or from wherever on your body yeah. that that's having a problem, not from your head, right? You're not thinking the answers. <laughs> You're letting right. them emerge. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. Leslie, thank you so much. Tell us uh, where we can find you one last time so that we can end this with your contact information. Yes. Um, you can find me at yourwordsunleashed.com and you can always email me at leslie at yourwordsunleashed.com. I'm super happy to hear from you and um, I'm doing this in service to, to you. So, you know, just know that. Mm, so good. Leslie, thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Self-Compassionate Professor. Find me on LinkedIn at Danielle Delamar, on Twitter and Instagram at Danielle SC Prof, or schedule a free coaching consult at selfcompassionateprofessor.com. Be well.